Hi, everyone. Welcome to How to College for First Gens, our podcast where we get together over some coffee to have real conversations about what it's like to be a first-generation student before, during, and after college. If you are a new listener, our goal as first-gen students is to share knowledge that we've gained along the way, learn a bit more about the experience from other first-gens, and hopefully help others going through some of the challenges we've experienced by sharing lessons learned from fellow first-gens. I'm Cody Daly, one of the show's co-hosts, a first-generation student living in Chicago, Illinois, whose job as a post-secondary counselor is to help and inspire the next generation of first-generation students. Beginning on Monday, May 3rd through Friday, May 7th, schools across the country will celebrate Educator Appreciation Week. Educators not only teach and support first-generation students, but many also identify as first-generation students themselves. Today, I speak with a high school senior planning to major in education, a college student finishing up her student teaching experience, and a current professional educator. Listen as we discuss teacher preparation, what exposure they had to the teaching profession, essential skills one must have to be an educator, and what is involved in the day-to-day work as an educator. Without further ado, let's get started. We begin today's episode on first-generation educators with a current high school senior who plans to be an educator, Hannah. Hi, Hannah. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for taking time to be on our podcast and to share your experience as a future educator. Thanks for inviting me. It's an honor. So as I mentioned, today's episode is all about first-generation students who plan to enter the education industry. But before we get started talking about your goals academically and career-wise, I'd love to have you introduce yourself to our audience. Hi, I'm Hannah Weeks. I am a senior at Victor J. Andrew High School. Awesome. And Hannah, this is a thing I like to ask a lot of people, you know, the whole identity of being a first-generation college student. Do you remember when you learned that you were a first-generation college student, and how did you feel? I mean, I've always known that my parents never went to college, but then I learned what a first-gen student was, and I thought it was really cool to be, like, the first- Absolutely. It's such an honor. You know, you hear about so many firsts that happen in the world. So it's really cool that you can be a part of that. So Hannah, as I mentioned, today we're here to talk about the world of education, being a teacher, being an educator. And I know you plan to pursue education by majoring in education. To get started, I'd just love to go way back to when you were younger and talk about your early interest in education if you had it. Growing up, did you enjoy school? And what were some of your favorite subjects or memories that you have from school? I actually like really loved school. I loved science classes mostly because it was the hands-on experience you get to do with science classes. You get to like do fun things, you get to do projects, and I just really loved that aspect of school. Yeah, those hands-on projects and experiments are always fun, especially when the students can do them too. Oftentimes, for first-generation students, one of the things that a lot of people have noticed is that a lot of first-generation students tend to be interested or look into careers that their relatives or someone they know are involved in, right? Sometimes we look right in our own backyard in terms of careers out there. Growing up, did you know anyone who was involved in the educational field? Did you have any neighbors or relatives that were teachers or in the schools? 
Yeah, actually, a lot of my mom's best friends are teachers. One's a first grade teacher and one's a music teacher. Did you ever talk with them about their experiences as a teacher or did that interest you at all? I did, actually. I actually did a school project on one of them when we were in elementary school because we did interview a professional. So I interviewed her as like a teacher because that's what I've always wanted to be. Well, that's awesome that you had such great, you know, role models and mentors around you in that field and that you were able to do that. What grade level did you do that career project? I'm just curious. I think I was in the second or third grade. That's awesome. We always talk about getting students to think about career earlier. You know, sometimes it doesn't happen until middle school or even high school. So that's really cool that you were able to do that career project. Looking back at you as a student, you know, in previous years or even now, how have you viewed educators and teachers, counselors, principals as a child? How did you view them in your mind? I kind of viewed them as like someone to look up to because they are literally teaching you everything you need to know to become a good adult in the world. That's great. And speaking of people within your schools, here at Andrew High School, I know that you have had the opportunity to get some cool experiences. Can you talk about and share with our audience some of the ways that Andrew has helped prepare you as a teacher, either through the courses you take or even the groups you're involved in? Andrew's helped a lot. I am an intern at the school, so I pretty much get that like hands-on teaching experience super early. And we also have clubs. We have a Future Teachers of America club, and I really like that because it prepares you to be a teacher. And there's so many courses that you can take that would help you in the future, especially in the family consumer sciences part. Yeah, that internship is so cool. When did you hear about that internship and how did you kind of get involved with that or apply? I heard about it at the beginning of my junior year. There was just like a bunch of posters around school. So me and my friend would talk about it. She also wants to be a teacher. So we both applied and it was just a simple application. And then we had to get recommendations from our past or current teachers. And then we either got accepted or denied. An internship in high school is really cool, first of all, right? So usually people think internships in college, but more and more internships are being offered at the high school level, which is amazing. Do you think that having this experience makes you feel like more comfortable or more confident in your career path decision? I feel like it really does because you get that experience way before you even have to like decide if that's what you want to do. And it either solidifies or lessens your want to be a teacher. In my case, solidifies because I love my internship. What sort of grade level are you working with with your internship? And what are some cool things that you've done in your internship? Usually you would work in the elementary school, but with COVID, we've had to actually be placed within our high school, which has been really cool. And I'm actually teaching my first solo lesson today, which is going to be really exciting. Well, good luck. I know you're going to do awesome. That's great that they've been able to adapt it to the COVID situation of this year. It's changed a lot of things, but I'm glad that you're still able to get a lot out of that. What is your lesson about? I'm curious. It's about government interest groups and like what they are. Cool. Well, best of luck. You'll have to keep us posted on how that goes. And in terms of support here at the school and support at home, were your parents supportive of you being a teacher? Why or why not? 
My mom really was. She just wants me to do whatever makes me happy. My dad was a little worried because they don't make as much money as he thinks that I could make. But they both have been really supportive of me after they explained their worries. Well, that's great. It's always good to have that support at home. So glad that you have that. Well, now, Hannah, let's take it back a little bit to the summer or even at the end of last junior year, you know, as you've maybe finalized some of your plans. In terms of your post-secondary plans, what options were you considering this year and kind of what were your goals coming into senior year? I had chosen three colleges that I was like, out of these three, these are the colleges that I would go to. And when did you start thinking about life after high school? Like, when did you even start thinking about things like college and career as a first-gen student? I started probably my freshman year because I was, well, now I'm in high school. I want to make sure that I'm ready for my senior year and just trying to figure out what I really wanted to do. I didn't really, like, look, but every so often I'd like, oh, look up a college here and look up a college there. As a counselor, that's music to my ears because (laughs) we love when students start thinking about those things even as early as freshman year. Do you think that made it easier, the fact that you've been thinking about it longer than as opposed if you thought about it, say, the summer before senior year? I think it did because I knew what I wanted to do. So it made like the application process a little bit easier, especially with deciding a major Yeah. And the fact that you narrowed it down to three is amazing. That's great that you were able to decide on which were the best fits for you. Now, in terms of your goals, you are wanting to work with younger children, correct? You're going to major in elementary education? Yes, I am. One thing that's sometimes common with high school students who want to be future teachers is they oftentimes might ask for advice. And luckily, you're in a building full of teachers. (laughs) So did you ever ask any teachers for advice? I feel like I have just a little bit like here and there. I would be like, what was like your experience becoming a teacher? Because it's kind of interesting. A lot of teachers teaching wasn't their first job. My seventh grade teacher was an accountant before she became our math teacher. Yeah, there's a lot of career changers out there. I've known people who've worked in the tech and business field who end up working in education, which is really, really cool. Do you remember any specific advice that teachers gave you or things that they mentioned to you? They pretty much all say that if you want to be a teacher, you have to have patience and compassion because you'll need a lot of it when you become a teacher. Yes, co-signing that for sure. That's a part of the recipe of being a good teacher. What or who, I should say, motivated you to become a teacher in the first place? Where does that come from? I've had so many great teachers. Seeing them teach people and being able to like have people understand what they're teaching, I just think that's really cool. So I just think all of my teachers have shaped my need to be a teacher. That just goes to show the impact that education can have on someone. That's cool. So now let's talk about going into college because you will be entering college in the fall, which I'm sure you're very excited about. Have you heard any advice about preparing for college life from college students or how to best prepare for that transition to college? A lot of people say start packing toiletries and stuff before you think you'll need to. So you'll have like a stock saved of shampoo, conditioner, and other toiletries, which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah. And you are planning on living on campus, correct? 
Yeah, I plan to live on campus. And do you mind sharing where you plan to go? I plan to enroll in Illinois State University. Awesome. And here in the state of Illinois, especially, that is one of the top schools for educators. So we have lots of ISU Redbirds in the building. So it's great to see you be a part of that next generation. Going a step further, going into college, obviously, you know, much of the first year or so will be a lot of those general education courses, but then you'll get into the meat of your teaching preparation, right? And taking a lot of education courses and even doing some further internships and student teaching. What sort of experiences are you expecting to have at the college level to become a teacher? I feel like it's going to be like the student teaching is going to be like a really important part of the college process of becoming a teacher and just taking all of those classes. It'll be really fun and exciting. How are you feeling about the student teaching experience? You probably won't do it until later in your college career, but do you feel ready for it? Excited for it? I would say I'm just really excited for it because this internship is giving me like a little like fishbowl view into what being a teacher is. And I'm just really excited to do that more as student teacher. And alongside that, you know, obviously taking your classes and getting your degree and getting your student teaching completed, that's a part of the process in college. But also part of the process is obtaining a teacher license. So just as with nursing and just as with medical and law, you have to have a license to do that career. Have you learned anything about the teacher license process that you need to get the license in order to become a teacher? Yeah, my internship teacher, she's explained a little bit about it, how after you get your license, you don't stop there. You need to get a certain amount of credit hours to make sure you keep that license, especially in the state of Illinois. Yeah, it's funny. So it differs from state to state, which is a surprise for a lot of people. But Illinois has among, I think, the highest standards for educators. And so that's why students go out of state. I always you know, encourage them to double check that their program will help them prepare for the Illinois experience because Illinois' licensing, I think, is among the more extensive. That's really important stuff. I mean, everything else is important, but at the end of the day, if you have the degree and you have the student teaching done, but you can't get the license... You're kind of at a standstill there. So that's really, really cool. And yeah, for teachers, you do have to continue to get those credit hours and those professional development. Teaching, even becoming a teacher, is a lifelong learning process. So that's great that you mentioned that. So now let's close by talking about the profession of education. So I'd love to hear some of your thoughts about different topics. And the first is, what is your favorite part about studying to be a teacher Or what is your favorite part about working with young students in general? I love working with younger students. I've worked in the preschool at our school and just teaching them some of like the core things that people kind of take for granted, like spelling and like reading and then watching them kind of get it. It's a magical experience that I feel like anyone and everybody should experience at least once in their life. Yes. I mean, talk about essential skills, spelling, reading, learning those skills. That has to be powerful to see them pick up and hone those skills and kind of learn those. Do you mind explaining your experience with the preschool here at Andrew and how that worked? 
So I've taken classes, child development, where we learn about birth to, I think, to preschool, and we learn all about your child's development. And then we get to work in our school's preschool, and we teach them, and then we also observe them. We have like one-way glass thing that we sit on the other side so we can see them, but they can't see us. And it teaches us to observe students and their like mannerisms. Yeah. And again, wow. I mean, great experience to have that in the classroom, but then to also have that practical experience. What are some essential skills that you think are a must-haves when it comes to being a teacher? What are some skills that they pretty much have to have? Well, as I said it earlier, patience is a huge one, as is compassion. And I feel like just a willingness to pretty much accept that every day is going to be different because you never know what's going to happen. But just being able to take that and make it the best that you can, I feel like those are really important skills that you need to have. And what are some misconceptions that you hear about educators? What are some myths that you'd like to bust today about educators? I feel like a big one is that they're glorified babysitters. And I hate when I hear that, that, oh, they're just there to like watch your children. They're not there to do that. They're there to shape their little minds in teaching them. Because if you're not being taught anything, you're not going to be successful. So I feel like just that is a big thing that I've heard a lot that I just think is not true at all. Totally. That even goes back to what you just mentioned, how every day is different and how you kind of have to adapt, as you kind of mentioned, to all the different things. So yeah, teachers are not just sitting there at their desk, (laughs) watching the students. They're actually teaching and, and dealing with a lot of other things that they have to do as well. This is kind of a deeper question, but what do you believe is the impact that teachers can have on our society as a whole? I think they have such a huge impact because they're seeing these children at such an important stage of their life and they can really change a person's view of the world and how it works. So I think that teachers are super important in shaping her world, especially for the future. I'm glad that you mentioned the the greater impact that teachers and educators can have because they truly do with the work that they do every day. All right. Well, Hannah, before I let you go, I'd love to do a little fun activity here at the end. We have Educator Appreciation Week coming up. This can be any grade level. It does not have to be high school. It can be any grade level. Tell us about your favorite teacher and why they were your favorite teacher and then leave a message for them. I would say my favorite teacher is one of my current teachers, Mrs. Sasso. She's my internship teacher and she just brightens your day. Like you walk into her room and she just makes your day and she teaches in such a great way where it feels like you're like talking like friends she makes sure you feel welcomed in her class all I would like to say is just thank you for that that is such a great thing to have at school I don't want to leave school sometimes because she's my last period of the day and she just makes it so great All right. Well, Hannah, thank you so much again for being on the podcast. We greatly appreciate you. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. We continue our conversation with first-gen educators with a soon-to-be college graduate, Kylia. Hi, Kylia. How are you? Hi, Cody. I'm good. Thank you so much for being here and for being on our podcast. We're super excited to have you here and to share your experience as a future first-gen educator. 
I'm super, super excited to be here. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be on a podcast. This is so exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, Kailia, I know we have a lot to talk about today when it comes to being an educator. But first, we'd love to get to know you more. So if you could just introduce yourself to our audience, that would be great. I am Kylia May. I come from a Christian household in the south suburbs of Chicago from Calumet Park. I am the oldest with eight younger siblings. I went to Harold L. Richards High School in Oak Lawn, which two of my brothers still go to. Kylia, as I mentioned, today we're here to talk about being an educator. And I know that you are a future educator. You are studying to be a teacher. So looking back, did you enjoy school growing up? And if so, what was your favorite subject or memory about school? I loved school growing up, <laughs> but mainly because it was my one time to be around kids my age. My siblings are all at least the fixed year age gap from me to them. So even though I love them and I love hanging out with them, we're not on the same age level. We're not relating to the same things all the time. So school was the one time I was like, yes, I get to be around kids my own age. We get to talk about stuff. That was what I loved about school. I loved being able to talk because I'm a social butterfly. I love talking. I love meeting new people learning about new people. My favorite subject was math. That was my thing. I was like, I'm good at it. It makes sense. I helped my friends with it. Math, that was my thing. And growing up, did you ever want to be a teacher, like even as a kid, or did you ever think about being a teacher or anything of that nature? Yeah, it's actually pretty funny because when I was a kid, I was, yeah, I want to be a teacher. It seems easy. All they do is just print out worksheets and they have the answer keys. So yeah, I'll just be a teacher. That's what I said when I was a kid. Then I did internships and got more into it. And I was like, yes, this is my path. I always found myself with my little cousins and my little siblings doing things and playing around with them. I was like, it seems that I like to be around children. So maybe I should probably stick to this teacher thing. Were your parents supportive of you being a teacher? My mom and her side of the family were very supportive, mostly because there were a lot of teachers on my mom's side of the family. So it's like, if you weren't supportive, it's like, what you're saying about me? Because there's a bunch of teachers over there. I just think that my mom was just proud that I found something that I was passionate about. She didn't really care what it was, but she saw that I was striving towards something that I actually cared about. I think that's why she was so supportive of me. She found other teachers and reached out to them. And she was finding out about college and just going the whole nine yards to help me as much as she could, considering that she did not go to college. She wanted to make sure that she could do everything she could to make sure that I achieved my goal, which was to become a teacher. My dad was not so supportive. He was happy that I was going to college. He was, yes, go get a degree. But he wanted me to do something that would make more money. He wanted me to bring home the bacon. He was like, you sure you want to be a teacher? You know, they don't really make that much. And I'm like, well, I'm not in it for the money. If I was in it for the money, then I would be doing something crazy. But I care about kids. I want to help the children. I'm very passionate about my craft. I'm not just doing it to get dollars and cents. It's not what I'm worried about. I want to help kids. Well, that's actually a perfect segue into our next topic, which is, you know, how you got here to your college and university. When you were thinking about college and what schools to apply to and various things, one of the interesting things about being a future educator is that when you're in high school, you're surrounded by educators. And so you're kind of surrounded by people who have gone through this process already. Did you ever reach out to any teachers for advice on going to college or going to college to be a teacher or just simply being a teacher? And if so, what did they say? 
I reached out to a couple of people. Well, not necessarily like reached out. I was already in constant contact with them. My child development teacher, Miss Reckowitz, I had her pretty much three out of my four years of high school. So she knew how to teach the preschoolers and also how to teach the high schoolers, which I thought was really cool. And we talked a lot about teaching and what it means to be a teacher. She helped mold me into the basic foundations of teaching because that's where I learned that I actually really, really wanted to be a teacher. So she taught me a lot about college. And she, in fact, told me about Golden Apple, which I had no idea about. I was like, what the heck is a Golden Apple? And Golden Apple helped me a lot financially for sure. It also helped me learn more about different issues that I probably would not have thought about had I just went to college and didn't have that extra support that focused on teaching and teaching in diverse communities. So I really appreciated that help from her because I may not have even went to Illinois State University had I not gotten the Golden Apple Scholarship because that financial support was amazing. And you mentioned that you are a Golden Apple Scholar, which is an amazing program for students here in Illinois. Can you briefly describe in your own words what the Golden Apple Scholarship Program is all about? I honestly think that it's something that should be more than just a scholarship opportunity. I feel like it's the type of program that like every teacher needs, especially if they intend to teach in diverse communities or low income communities, because it really helps you learn about inclusivity and diversity and trauma and all that stuff. I was like, I did not know there was so much until I got there. Sometimes I'm sitting next to my peers at ISU and they're just unaware of this other stuff that goes into teaching. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you guys are going to be in ultra shock when you get into your classroom. There's so much more that you should know about your students, especially if you think that you're going to come into these urban settings and just take over, just do what you need to do. You got to know how to build relationships with these children and Golden Apple helps you do that. I know with Golden Apple, there are some commitments to some summer professional development and some summer programs. Can you either talk about what some of those experiences have been like or maybe some of your favorite things you've done in those summer programs? With Golden Apple, there is a summer internship every summer. It used to be before you started the next school year, but they changed it because of, what was it, 2017? There was something going on in the government where they were a little bit delayed on the money, so they kind of rearranged how they had it set up. So now the summer internships are the year after your school year. So your first summer internship is after your first year of college, but something like that. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure that's how it works now. And for the first three years, it's about a month-long internship. And pre-COVID, we would actually go to a campus and stay at the dorms and have full experience. They'll get to meet with awesome educators. They have guest speakers. There's also a peer group, like other Golden Apple Scholars that are in the same level that you're at. And you do like reflection meetings where you talk about what you have learned and learn more about other scholars. And they also have older scholars that help us and mentor us during that month. 
at your last summer internship, like the fourth one, it's normally about a two-week internship instead of a full month that we are supposed to really be hitting hard on how to get you into the classroom and help prepare you for your first year of teaching on your own. But honestly, I feel like the whole experience really helps you figure out how to teach and how to teach on your own. They help out with resumes. They help out with the job search. It's amazing. The Golden Apple Scholarship is just an amazing program and has provided so much support to you. And as you mentioned, this scholarship helps you at your specific university. But going back to your time at ISU, which I know is coming to a close, which I'm sure is bittersweet, but has Illinois State provided you with any sorts of other practical experiences even before your student teaching? Yes, we had some classes that we were required to take that required us to do some type of clinical and observational time. So Illinois State has their own teaching school that's on campus that is, I believe, a K-8 school. So you can go there and you can observe classes and you can also teach depending on the class that you're in. I did not teach at that school. It's called Metcalf. I don't think I started going there until my junior year is when we started to actually take and do classes at Metcalf. And that was a really good experience to just really get in there because they can teach you and talk to you about teaching. But until you actually get in there with the kids, not the same. Experience with the children is the most learning experience. They can talk to you all day about this, this and the third, but really getting in there with the kids is where the real learning happens, I feel. Going a step further, so we talked about some of the practical experiences that you've had and some of the different clinical experiences, but right now you are in probably the most important experience, which is your (laughs) student teaching process. So first, can you just describe your student teaching process that you've experienced this year? I am student teaching at Bloomington Junior High School, which is in Bloomington, Illinois. And I picked Bloomington Junior High School because I felt that it would be the community and the demographic of the students is the most similar to what I would be teaching when I do come back home after I graduate. And right now we are on spring break, but when we come back from spring break, we are transitioning to remote on Mondays and then the rest of the week we are in person with all of the children which is very exciting and scary at the same time. I always describe this experience as very interesting because I really learned a lot that I did not expect to be learning how to do. I'm like okay so now I learned how to do Zoom and I got to learn how to monitor their screens because there's like a whole nother program for that and then you got to talk about social distancing and you got to make sure they're wearing a mask and it's just so much. It's a lot of work but I learned a lot. Yeah, there's already so much to think about and remember when it comes to being a teacher. And this year, I think we've doubled the list. And so I agree, this year has been definitely unique, to say the least. Looking back at your experience of student teaching, what were some of the highs and lows of this experience so far for you? I'm going to start with the lows so that I can end on a high point. I would say the lows would be the struggles of remote learning. That was a real struggle for me. I feel like I was prepared to do in-person learning. I was like, yeah, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to just tear it up. I got this. And then we're like, oh, we're going to be remote. I was like, I don't got this. <laughs> but my co-teacher was very supportive of me. She was like, hey, I don't know what we're doing either. We're going to figure it out together. She said that we're trying to build a plane while it's in the air. She's like, we're just going to try our best and try to figure it out. We'll make it work. We kind of learned together. 
I would say that the highs of this experience would be I learned so, 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 so much more than I probably would have if it was a regular school year because I learned about the ins and the outs. I learned about administration. I learned about how it is post-graduation, like post after I get out of college because my co-teacher is going for her doctorate. She talks to me about that a lot and about her classes that are super long and all the books she has to read. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to do all that. I don't know if that's where I'm going next, but we'll figure it out one step at a time. Great. As we kind of finalize today's discussion, I'd like to just talk about the world of education in general. And to start, I would love to know, what is your favorite part about the world of education and what you do? I love learning from other educators and other people in the education field. I love us talking and building off of each other and exchanging ideas and just getting to know each other better, getting to know the field better, because there's sometimes I'll learn something from another teacher and I had no idea that that was a thing. I was like, what? You can do that? Or that happens? And it's just so nice to learn from somebody who has more experience than you, or even sometimes somebody who has less experience than you because they have a fresh pair of something different. It's nice to hear from other people. I really like building community and making connections with other educators because you need that. What are some essential skills that you believe one must have to be an educator these days? Passion is the number one absolute most important thing. If your heart's not in it to win it, then you will not be a good educator. All the other things, the patience, the kindness, the empathy, the content knowledge, the cultural awareness, I feel like that all goes under passion. If you don't have the passion for those children, if you don't have the passion to help them succeed and do all those things, it's not going to work. <laughs> you got to have the passion. And what are some misconceptions you hear about educators? And would you mind, on behalf of all educators, maybe (laughs) busting some of those myths or speaking to some of those misconceptions? Yes, I think the misconceptions that most commonly heard is the same misconception I had when I was a kid, that teachers are lazy, they don't want to do nothing, especially right now, not lazy. It's actually more work to do remote than it is to, to be with them in person. There's a lot more planning and a lot more thinking that you're doing when you're doing remote than when you're having the kids right in front of you. I mean, I don't want to speak for all teachers, but I think we are all would be pretty happy to get back to some sort of normal. To close on this conversation about the career of education in general, I'm curious, what do you think is the impact that you believe educators can have on our society as a whole? I believe that educators have a major impact on society. I feel like they can make or break the society, honestly. Educators are with students almost more than parents are with their own children for 12 years of their life. That's a long amount of time to be with children. Now, they might not be with the same teacher for all that time, but they're with educators for that time. And I'm aware that educators are not the parents, but they are prominent adult figures in their children's life consistently. Not all the teachers might not have the same beliefs or the same teaching styles or the same teaching mechanisms, but those educators are molding those kids in some sort of way. They are lighting the light bulb or not lighting the light bulb or unscrewing it for those 12 years. And I think that educators play such an important role in students' life that they sometimes might not even know. On Golden Apple, we have our summer internships, and in the morning, we would go to our clinicals, and I would say, it's a beautiful day to change lives, because that's what we're trying to do. I completely agree. And I've always said that, you know, as a counselor, I find that so many kids these days just need someone who believes in them. 
if I can be that person in their lives, I'd be happy to do that. And again, like you said, you might not even be aware of the impact you have on <laughs> the students necessarily, or maybe to what level, but teachers do have a great impact on students as a whole. So, Kylea, to close today, I'd love to have you think back on who your favorite teacher was growing up, why they were your favorite teacher, and maybe a message you would like to leave from them now as you're about to enter the profession. I would say my favorite teacher was the first teacher who I really actually genuinely enjoyed my time with them. My 6th, 7th, and 8th grade science teacher, Mr. Marinello, I even called him my school dad. He was somebody who actually cared about the students, about me as a person, and actually genuinely wanted to know more about me and help me in any way that he could. I even was lucky enough to have the experience of co-teaching with him my senior year of high school during that internship, which I was so happy. It wasn't at my old middle school because he had switched schools, but it was really nice to even talk about the fact that he switched school. Like, why did you move? So I learned about that. And then I got to see him in a different environment and teach with him, which was really, really great. Like an experience I would never take back for millions of dollars. It was awesome. I learned so much. I think if I could say anything to him, I would say, I hope that you're still doing great. And I hope that you still have the same passion that you had when you taught me. And I hope you're still using those same skills with the students that you have. And I hope your children are doing great because I see them on Facebook sometimes. I hope that they are just thriving and hopefully I'll see him soon. That's super special. What a great connection. Well, thank you so much, Kylia. This was an amazing interview. I'm so thankful and grateful to have you on the podcast here today. Thank you for having me. I thought this was amazing. We finished today's conversation about first-gen educators with a first-generation student and a current school counselor, Shamoon. Hi, Shamoon. How are you? Hi, Cody. I'm doing well. Thank you. So, Shamoon, as I mentioned, today's episode is all about educators, and specifically first-generation educators. But before we get started, I'd like to have you introduce yourself to our audience. Sure. I am, again, Shamoon Ebrahimi. I am a male, cisgender, Assyrian-American, was born in the Middle East and lived in Germany for a little while as a refugee and then came to the United States, grew up in a small town called New Britain, Connecticut. Probably the best experiences I've ever had and shaped a lot of my future, but I am here for the majority of my life in the Chicago area. And you yourself are an educator. I know that you've worked in a couple different capacities with different schools. Looking back at your early life, in terms of your exposure to education, did you enjoy school growing up? Growing up, I would say I was in school in different phases in different locations. So if I could go way far back, you know, a four, five, six-year-old kid growing up going to school in Iran, I did not particularly enjoy that experience. I was a child who was a minority in a predominantly majority, different religion, if you will. And then I went to a school that wasn't ideal for me. I was one of the most different kids in that experience, in that environment at the time. And I got bullied at times and the experience was 
wasn't the ideal. It wasn't pleasant. So I did not necessarily enjoy it overseas. Then I lived in Germany for a couple of years and it got a little bit better, but I still always felt out of place, still learning the language. It wasn't my native tongue. And then that was just always learning on the go and feeling behind. And then when we finally came to the United States, when I was a kid, I would say in the beginning, it was harder. I was an ELL kid. I didn't know a lick of English. I had to learn another language in a very short span of time. Again, that was tough. And along the way, I made a lot of mistakes and then eventually learned from them. It got a little bit better as I got older. And then it got to a point where I really started enjoying school. I ended up being the type of kid that didn't really want to miss school. And not just necessarily for the academic piece, but obviously mostly the social piece. It was my escape. It was my opportunity to have fun and laugh and joke and just make memories with my friends. And it turned out to be one of the most special times of my life. Looking back, did you have anyone in your family who was in education in any capacity or any educators within your family? Yeah, back in the Middle East, my mom was actually a teacher for maybe a couple of years until she got to a point where she got married. And then she was mainly a stay-at-home mom and also supported my dad as he had a kebab restaurant back in Iran. So there was a little bit of an interest from education that came from my mom. But if I'm going to be honest, I had a lot of mixed emotions in terms of my path and what I wanted to do and where I wanted to be in the beginning. It was a mixture of a couple of things early on until I've really found my my niche, which was ultimately in education. I, I was even interested in business for a little while. And I think to this day, I probably have a little bit of an entrepreneurial spirit. And I think that came from my parents. My parents were hustlers. You know, my parents owned a restaurant and my parents worked really, really hard for us to be able to have a good life back in Iran until really our landscape completely changed. The history of the country changed to the point where, you know, the business wasn't allowed to flourish anymore because of the religion my parents had as opposed to what was the dominant population. And then so long story short, it was largely part of the reason why we left. And so when we finally came to America, even later on in life, I just I would always watch my parents work hard and hustle and they would still make kebabs and sell them out of the house. And so I always watched that and, and I was intrigued by that type of lifestyle too. So it was partly influenced, like education was partly an influence, but also entrepreneurship was too. I know you said you were kind of conflicted on your path in terms of the education field. And I'm curious, overall, were your parents supportive of your choice to go into the education industry? Let's be honest here. I think in the very beginning, my parents really wanted me probably to be a doctor and or a lawyer. Go figure. You probably heard that everywhere at some point, right? And then we narrowed it down a little bit to being an eye doctor. So I looked into that for a little bit. That didn't last too long. I was like, we had a heart to heart. I'm like, mom, dad, you know, I appreciate it. I know it looks really good on paper. And I know it's very, very easy to be proud of your child when they go into law and or medicine, but it's just not me. I just know what's me and that's not it. So then I had an interest in education because I had a good relationship with my counselor in high school. And that person really helped me quite a bit to get prepared and go on to the next phase of my life. So I was intrigued by his job. I'm not going to lie, even as early as junior, senior year. But I kind of put it in the back of my mind. And then what was at the forefront at the time, right before I left for senior year, was probably getting into marketing. So I attended the University of Connecticut and I was an undecided major technically. And then I had to apply 
applied to the business school and I was able to do that after that first year. I got in, but then I quickly got kicked out because I didn't do so well in some of the business courses. So I considered it one of my first failures in life that really, I think, was a meaningful failure. In fact, my message to everyone is that if you're young, you're trying to find yourself and you fail, let that be just an experience where you can ask yourself, okay, what is this teaching me? What am I trying to learn from this experience? Don't let that failure to bring you down, but let that propel you into something else. Then I started really studying sociology because I knew that in order to be a school counselor, you had to have a master's later on in life. So you needed to have some kind of undergraduate major such as human and family development or sociology or psychology. And I picked sociology. I went a little bit further into sociology and I'm really glad I did because that was really the foundation to a lot of the equity work I ended up doing later on in life and currently doing right now. So I go in that direction. I graduate from the University of Connecticut, get my sociology bachelor's degree, eventually went to graduate school for sociology as well, and then school counseling and then now educational leadership. Can you speak a little more to what specifically motivates you or what is really your key passion when it comes to working in the educational field? The biggest reason why I love working in education and and continue to really push forward when we have those difficult moments as educators, such as the past year dealing with the pandemic, it's just that opportunity to help people at the end of the day. Being able to wake up knowing that I have a chance to just help even one person, just helping one person, just think about that for one sec, can really change generations in that person's family. If you're able to get a student help a student get on the right path and find a career and be able to fend for himself or herself and be able to take care of the family, have a mortgage, be able to have children and raise them and support them and so on and so forth, or get mental health support and be able to afford getting therapy if you need it, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, that right there can start as far back as just someone helping you out in high school. So Shimon, to take you back to your time at DePaul, can you describe your school counseling internship process? I actually did my internship over at a neighborhood high school in the CPS, and it was definitely a unique experience. I think there were aspects of that school that reminded me of the high school that I went to in Connecticut, but definitely lacked a lot more resources than the high school I went to. That was a little bit of an adjustment for me. I knew that I was passionate about helping students, but at the same time, the needs were so overwhelming at times, even for an intern, that I probably just scratched the surface at that time. But it was just an awesome experience in a lot of ways, but I felt like I needed to stay in the CPS after I did my internship because there was so much more to do and so much more to learn. And then one thing led to another and I ended up actually staying in the CPS and did that for four years before moving on to my next school. As a first-gen student who is now a school counselor who advises hundreds of seniors every year, can you talk about tips or lessons learned that you learned specifically from your experience that you'd like to share with our first-gen audience? Yes, I do, actually. Thank you so much for asking that question. I would say for all the young people out there who are trying to find themselves, trying to figure something out, maybe have some interest, let's say, in what they want to do in terms of a career, or maybe just have no idea what they want to do. My number one advice to all of you is to get as many career experiences as possible from your freshman year to your senior year and make the most informed decision about your life after high school, your senior year, based on all those experiences. 
Let me give you an example. Let's say you want to be a nurse because perhaps you value helping others. Perhaps it's because you have an interest in the healthcare world. Okay, great. Now you know that as early as freshman year, you have some initial interest in this career. Okay, great. Take your field trips to the hospitals. Take as many classes as possible as you can as it relates to nursing. Maybe it's an anatomy class. Maybe it's an early childhood development class. Perhaps it's a healthcare careers class. And then if you can, if your school has this opportunity, take advantage of an internship where you actually spend some time shadowing and working with nurses. Maybe during the summers, you can attend some kind of a healthcare camp or maybe even visit colleges and specifically those nursing programs with those colleges. Maybe you could find as many nurses that you possibly can and really interview them and ask them and find a mentor, maybe a mentor who is a nurse and ask as many questions as possible. That's awesome. Transitioning to your role as a counselor, let's talk more about your professional career, the thing that you do every day. Can you start by describing your role as a school counselor? Sure. The counseling job, I think, is very complex. But at the end of the day, you are an advocate and you're a person who really helps students in three major domains, I would say. I think you're helping students at the end of the day in the world of academia. You're helping students make sense of what classes to pick and understanding the classes and how they're connected to really your career pathway. You're also helping schedule students. You're also helping students really make sense of their emotions. There's a huge social emotional component to going to school and you're supporting students in that way so then they're able to manage and cope with their emotions and still be able to achieve and continue on with their high school experience. And then lastly, a lot of stuff that we already touched upon is really you're helping students get as many career experiences and make the most sense out of planning for life after high school. Let's also just add that there's a ton of things in between all of that that you do as a counselor. It's the ultimate multitasking job. In between all that, you're also checking hundreds of emails, you're helping plan events sometimes, you attend a bunch of meetings, you look at a lot of data, you have conversations, you read about things and you reflect about things and you go to professional developments, you find ways to get better, you fail, you get back up, do it better next time, et cetera, et cetera. You know, within your role, I should say, as a counselor, you have the unique opportunity as a first-generation college student to work with many first-generation college students. And I'm just curious, can you recount or recall any cool stories or, you know, any of the work that you have done with first-generation students throughout your career? So one of my former students who had just come to the United States probably 10 years ago, and I was probably in my second or third year as a school counselor. I mean, the kid barely spoke English, but got through high school, through an ELL supports, and then eventually went to, I think, community college and then UIC and then studied engineering and became an engineer. And now I see him on LinkedIn one day and on Facebook, and I noticed that, wow, he's a full-blown engineer and just totally doing his thing. And he reached out to me and he was the guy that said, you know, thank you so much. You did so much for my family. You helped me so much just to get through those early years, which was very difficult for so many reasons. And, you know, here we go. I'm an engineer now and I would love to meet up with you one day just to have lunch and just tell you what everything that's been going on. And I'm like, wow, that's awesome. And like, sometimes that's what you need to hear to keep you going. It's those moments like that when, when you're reminded like, wow, all this work that you go through, all the trials and tribulations, all the obstacles, all the long meetings, it's all at the end of the day to be able to shape someone's life just like that. 
Shamoon, what is your favorite part about being a counselor or being an educator or just working in education specifically? I think that my favorite part is probably that there's no one day that's really the same. It's like there's almost like a never a dull moment. Every day it's something. It's almost every day is a little bit different. Maybe your tasks might be the same during certain periods of the year, but it always looks a little bit different. The conversations are a little bit different. It feels different with different students and, and how you do it is always is different. You always try to do like a school counseling presentation, for example, in the classroom, maybe better, you know, after your 10th time around, as opposed to the previous nine times. So it's moments like that, that keep you going that makes it the most interesting, I would say. Great. What are some of the essential skills that you believe one must have to work in education? First and foremost, I definitely think you have to be able to multitask specifically to be a school counselor for sure. But I mean, even an educator, like a teacher too, of course, even an administrator. But in general, definitely learn how to multitask as difficult as that may be. You have to multitask and it's not ideal for everybody. And I totally get it. I don't love to multitask, but I do it. And I know what I have to do it in order to be able to be efficient with my job. That's number one. Number two, it kind of is connected to that. You have to be really organized, I think. Having a nice note-taking system or calendar appointment system really, really goes a long way. Just be able to walk into your day, maybe even looking at your day actually the night before you go to bed and seeing what you have from 7.30 to 3.30 every day in terms of your meetings, your agenda items, so on and so forth. And just preparing mentally for that goes a long way. So that for sure. Tech skills really go a long way. It could be taught, of course, and you don't necessarily have to be an expert, but the quicker you can get acclimated to all the evolving natures of technology, the better I think your efficiency becomes. And then lastly, the one thing that you have to have, you must have, and it cannot be taught. You either have it or you don't. And that's really at the end of the day, the desire to care, to really, really have a genuine interest in helping people. You have to have that because in your darkest of times, in the busiest of times, you're going to want to quit. And you have to remind yourself in that moment that you are doing this because you're trying to help people. Kind of an interesting question, Shimon. What do you think are some of the biggest misconceptions that you hear about educators? I'm going to be more specific and just say myths about school counselors because I'm a school counselor. So the biggest myth, I think, is that we just sit there and schedule people in classes. <laughs> just not exactly true, ladies and gentlemen. My friends out there, uh, school counselors don't just schedule people in classes. They actually help you make sense of what choices you make about your classes and they connect them to your career pathways. At the end of the day, if it's done right, it's actually driven by the student and the counselor helps you just really navigate that whole process. And then, yeah, we enter it at the end of the day in the system, but that's the last thing we do. There's so much more involved before we get to that point. Number two, it's that school counselors have it really easy because they have the summers off and spring break off and winter break off and so on and so forth. Let me bust that myth too. It's definitely awesome in a lot of ways. The lifestyle is good. Yes, the breaks are there and they are very, much deserved. But I got to tell you, it's not an easy job. At times you can really have compassion fatigue because there's so much need out there and you help so many people that you do get exhausted 
at times and you really, really, really need those breaks because you have those breaks, you use them, you recharge for the following year or the following semester and you go back at it again. But by no means is this job easy. So if you're thinking out there, oh, I want to be a school counselor because it looks like it's so easy. It's so much fun. Just be really careful and do your homework. There's a lot of reward to all that. It is definitely one of the coolest jobs that's out there, but it certainly is not easy. You have to be able to be prepared for that. All right. Well, Shamoon, as we wrap up, I just wanted to thank you again for sharing your experiences and your tips with our audience. To close, I'd actually love for you to maybe tell us about a favorite teacher or a favorite educator that you had growing up, why they were your favorite, and then a brief message. If she's out there right now, I don't know if she's listening and she may or may not know it, but I feel like I told her quite a bit when I was in seventh grade. She's one of the people I always remember. Her name was Mrs. Nichols. She was my seventh grade teacher at Roosevelt Middle School in New Britain, Connecticut. She was one of the first teachers that I could say that I truly, truly remembered and really taught me quite a bit as a young man. And she just had a great way of teaching and making it fun, making it interesting, but being honest and giving you constructive criticism when you needed it without making you feel awful about it. But just at the same time, really challenging you and really helping you grow and have this desire to just keep on going even when you stumble. And that was starting to take its form for me as early as seventh grade. So I got to thank Mrs. Nichols for that. I've had so many awesome teachers after that, and I'm really grateful for many people in not only the high school setting, but even beyond. Even as recently as graduate school, Dr. Nelson, if you're out there, she's one of the most amazing human beings I've met and a wonderful, wonderful professor and mentor really for my internship program. And that is as recent as this past year and a half. Those were the ones that I would say stuck out the most over the last 20, 30 years or so. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that and for all of those messages to those favorite educators that you've had in your life. It's really awesome to hear you express that you've had so many important people in your life in the educational field. So Shamoon, thank you again so much for all of your important insight and experiences. It was an honor. I really appreciate it. I had a great time. Thanks again to today's guests, Hannah, Kailia, and Shamoon, for sharing their stories and experiences with our audience. And thank you for tuning in to How to College for First Gens. As you can gather from this episode, educators play a huge role not only in schools, but also in the lives of others. Hopefully, for you as a listener, this episode sheds some light on what it truly means to be an educator. Perhaps it even sparked you to consider becoming a teacher or influenced your view of educators. Who knows, maybe one day you will be teaching and having an impact on a student just like you. As always, you can find us online at howtocollegefirstgen.org if you have any questions or feedback as we want to hear what you think, what you're struggling with, and how we can help. If you prefer to reach us on social media, you can find us at howtocollegefirstgen on Instagram and Facebook and htcfirstgen on Twitter. Remember, you are not alone in this journey. Until next time.